Welcome to Sanctified in Truth with Michael York, a ministry of the Fairview Baptist Church in Ashland, Kentucky. Sanctified in Truth is a daily podcast for followers of Christ who desire to imitate Him and to dedicate ourselves fully to the plans God has for us by deepening our love and understanding of God's Word. Our reading today is John chapter 12, verse 12 to 26. And as always, I want to encourage you to make sure that before you listen, you've read the passage. When we come here to John chapter 12, this is perhaps the height of John's motif so far of the people misunderstanding Jesus. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem, there's a great scene of people all around wanting to greet him with palm branches. Now, the palm branch was a symbol of Israel, much the same way perhaps an eagle is a symbol of the United States. What that shows us is that what the people wanted was a political savior. John quotes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 here, which is about the Messiah coming, and he comes to bring peace. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, you notice he came into the city riding on a donkey. Now, in the Old Testament, typically a king would ride a horse into a city as a sign of war and a donkey into a city as a sign of victory and peace. John tells us that the the people, even the disciples, did not understand what was happening until after Jesus' death. Again, notice John's use of the word glorified here to refer to the death of Jesus. Jesus was not revealing who he was as he came to destroy and vanquish the enemy. Jesus was revealing who he was by laying down his life. Jesus says that now his hour has come. The time is at hand for him to fulfill the mission that God had sent him to accomplish. And how would Jesus do that? He would do it through his death. Jesus pictures himself as a grain of wheat. Now, a grain of wheat has to die in order to give life. It goes into the ground or it's crushed in order to be fruitful. The the Jews think that Jesus is coming to free them from the oppression of Rome. But what Jesus shows is he's coming not just for Israel, but for the whole world. Don't miss the inclusion here that John gives us of the Greeks who are seeking Jesus. John wants us to see that these Gentiles are a part of the harvest that Jesus will bring. Too often in our lives, we limit the work of Jesus. Now, we're certainly thankful that Jesus works in our lives, in our homes, in our communities, and in our country. But what we must never forget is that Jesus is working in and for the whole world, too. Now, as we ask ourselves our three questions, the first question we want to ask is, what does this passage teach me about God? I want us to think for a moment a little more in depth about the picture Jesus uses of a grain of wheat. A grain of wheat exists to die. It exists to be crushed. It exists to be planted. And it's when that wheat is planted into the ground that more wheat springs up. One grain of wheat can produce eight or more heads with over 40 seeds per head. So when Jesus speaks of himself as wheat in the ground, it's not merely in the hopes of producing more life. It is with the promise of a coming harvest. One implication of this is that because of Jesus' work, there will be a harvest to come. The book of John has shown this theme over and over of people who know Jesus seeking to make sure that others know Jesus. The picture of the wheat bringing a harvest is not a promise that there will be a positive response every time we share the gospel. But because of the work of Jesus, we know that there will be some life that will come from his death. 
See, Jesus' life does not just make a harvest possible. It makes it certain. And what greater encouragement could there be for us to point people to Jesus? The second question we want to ask is, what does this passage teach me about me? Now, as we look at the crowd, these people are appearing to recognize Jesus as king, but really, they're just trying to make him their servant. What they're doing is they're imposing their agenda on him. They try to decide what kind of salvation he will bring, and they're defining who and what he'll save. So many of their problems are rooted in two sinful ideas. One bad idea was a misunderstanding of who's really in charge here. You see, a king does not share his throne. A king rules. No one tells a king what to do. They simply submit. Whenever we try to tell Jesus how to exercise his power and authority, we're not recognizing him as king. We're trying to treat him as our subject. The other problem that these people had was that they valued the physical over the spiritual. For them, salvation was not about their eternal souls. It was about a relief from their problems. For these people, Jesus was a physical Savior who brought physical relief. What we don't realize is that when we value the physical over the spiritual, whether it's money over contentment, stuff over joy, health over abundant life, we're degrading Jesus from the eternal Son of God to just a physical provider. The third question we want to ask is, what does this passage call me to do? In this passage, Jesus presents a guiding paradox for the lives of believers. He says, whoever loves their life will lose it, and whoever hates their life in this world will keep it. Now, what in the world is Jesus saying? To understand this paradox, we have to see what Jesus is saying in light of the cross, which is what he's talking about. On the cross, God would judge sin in Jesus. Now, when we speak of sin, we need to think of what sin is. Sin is turning away from God's way, whether by doing what God has said not to do or by not doing what God has said to do. Sin is the failure to image God positively or negatively. Sin is insisting on my way. And so when Jesus says we will lose our life if we love it, Jesus is saying that when we prioritize our loves and our opinions, our preferences and our ambitions, ultimately we'll find ourselves under the judgment of God and we'll lose our life. But by contrast, if we hate our life in this world, we will keep it for eternal life. Now, two things must be noted about that statement. When Jesus says hate, he's employing a familiar idiom to his audience. He's not talking about self-loathing or deprivation. He's talking about comparative favor. For instance, the Old Testament says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. This was God's way of saying he rested his favor on the line of Jacob. If you read Genesis 36, which is the descendants of Esau, and you read about all his wealth, you'll see Esau was blessed by God. But God selected Jacob as the one through whom his promise would pass, and it certainly was not due to any worth or superiority in Jacob. Jesus would elsewhere say, whoever does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. Jesus was not contradicting the command to honor your father and mother. He was just saying that our love for God must eclipse our love for anything and everything else. 
The other thing to note about that statement that Jesus makes of hating our life in this world is that he specifies it's our life in this world that we hate. Jesus is calling us to eschew that which is worthy to pursue that which is eternal. We must not prioritize the things of this world in regards to our life if we really want to enjoy that which is eternal. We demonstrate our hatred, as Jesus uses that word, of our life by not going our own way, by not seeking our own purposes, but by following Christ and serving Him. Maybe we can paraphrase Jesus' words like this. If you make your life about the here and now and the stuff of this world, you'll eventually lose it because that is all you will have. But if you focus on Christ and make your life about serving Him, knowing Him, and fellowshipping with Him, you'll be able to enjoy doing that forever. Well, thanks for listening to today's episode of Sanctified in Truth. Join us tomorrow as we'll discuss John chapter 12, verses 27 to 50. May everything you say and everything you do today seek to honor God. And whatever you do, take comfort to know that Jesus has already prayed for you, that you would be sanctified in truth. Ah. Uh-huh.